Let us pray together. Father God, we bless you. We thank you. We give you glory. There is none like you. Never has, never will be another. You and you alone are God and you are God all by yourself. We thank you for giving us Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, the one who lives in us and indwells us, the one who fills us, not only personally, but corporately as he fills the temple, fills the body of Christ. We thank you for your spirit because Jesus said without him, we can do nothing. We can't even praise you and bless you without help from you. Father, it is our sincere prayer that you inhabited the praises of your people today. We need your presence because in your presence there is the fullness of joy that we all need because the joy that you give is the strength that will get us through. I thank you that your presence is not confined to a building. I thank you that your presence and your anointing is not confined to an hour. But God, you are everywhere. And everywhere, all the time, you deserve the praise, even when we don't feel like it. We thank you for what David teaches us. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Father, you woke us up this morning to see a day we've never seen before. And we thank you. We thank you for food on our table. We thank you for clothes on our back. We thank you for friends and for family. And Lord, we even thank you for the problems because they help increase our prayer time. They cause us to draw near to you, knowing that you will draw near to us. And you give us the authority and the capacity to resist the enemy, and he will flee. Now, Father, as the old preacher would say, stand in my body, think with my mind, and speak with my mouth the word of God. May we all have ears to hear what you want to say to each one of us this morning. And then, Lord, put running in our feet, clapping in our hands, and doing in our bodies. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it all. Amen. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Today at 1 o'clock, my good friend, Pastor Walter Simmons and his church, the Empowerment Community Church, will be utilizing our sanctuary for a worship service for their church at 1 o'clock. Um, they do not have their own facility. They meet in Franklin. And this will be their first gathering um, in a long time. And so they're on the verge of finding a facility. They're very close. But I know what it's like being a pastor and you don't have a quote-unquote building. And so um, we're honored today to, to bless them at one. So you can stay around and join them if you like. Um, they also have a multiracial church as well. Um, um, but I ask also that we clear out so that they can come in probably around 1230 and begin getting ready for their worship service. All right. Genesis chapter 21. 
You've heard me speak a lot about my father, the late Deacon Harold Williamson Sr. Oh, I love my dad. And one thing about my dad, I love so many things about him, is that he was an avid sports fan. He not only loved the Baltimore Orioles, but he knew the whole roster of the Baltimore Orioles. Um, he would watch on television, he would listen on the radio, and he would go to the stadium and watch the Orioles. And then when football season came around, he loved the Baltimore Colts. I'm talking about going back to the days of Johnny Unitas. My dad was a Colt fan. And again, he knew all of the players on the team, and he would get so enthused watching the games or going to the stadium. He also loved the Washington Bullets because Baltimore didn't have a basketball team, and so D.C. was right down the road, and so he was a Bullets fan, Wes Unseld and those guys. And so my dad loved sports, but probably the sport he loved the most, the sport that really got him going, was the sport of boxing. And back in the 70s, and even in the 60s, his favorite boxer, I don't know why I'm getting so much wind here. Pull this out a little bit. His favorite boxer was Muhammad Ali. All right. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Muhammad Ali. So my dad loved Ali. So when you think about Ali and how great he was, um, probably the fighter he enjoyed fighting the most was Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier. They had three cataclysmic battles. In 1971, it was called the fight of the century. This was the first time they fought in 1971. And Joe Frazier won that fight. Well, the second time Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali fought was in 1974. And it was called Super Fight Two. So I guess they didn't want to say Fight of the Century Two because they already had the century. So they called it Super Fight Two. And Muhammad Ali won that fight. And then in 1975, the third and final battle between these two juggernauts was called the Thriller in what? Manila. Okay, we got a few boxing fans here. And Muhammad Ali won that fight. And so there are people who uh, commemorate having gone to those fights by saving their ticket stubs because those fights were so historic to the scope of the history of boxing. Well, if you like a good fight, I want to introduce to you another fight in the spirit of Don King, if I could. This is, ladies and gentlemen, the brawl for it all. Oh, I don't know if you hear me, ladies and gentlemen. The fight that we're about to encounter today is the fight for the future. It is Sarah versus Hagar, round two. <laughs> and in this corner, hailing from the Ur of the Chaldees, wearing a blue headdress, high-top sandals, Coming in at 90 years old is Sarah. Y'all give it up for Sarah, yeah. 
in the opposite corner, coming from Egypt, wearing a white headdress, low-top sandals, and approximately 50 years old, we have Hagar, the maidservant. Y'all give it up for Hagar, the maidservant. Ding, 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 ding. This is their second fight. Last week, we saw their first fight, or what we call round one. And we saw in Genesis chapter 16 how there were some power dynamics on display in chapter 16 because Sarah was wealthy. Sarah was the mistress. Hagar was the maid or the maid servant. Sarah had been frustrated after 10 years of living under a calling from God to have a great nation with her husband, but she was barren and could not get pregnant, so she chose her, her, her maidservant to be her surrogate, to marry her husband in hopes of having a child through her so that this promise would go forward. But because of the power dynamics of a maidservant being over a maid, once Hagar got pregnant, she took power over Sarah and began to look down on her. And Sarah felt that displeasure. So she took the power back by afflicting Hagar. And that word afflict is where the Hebrews, when they were in slavery for 400 years, they were afflicted by the Egyptians. And so she afflicted her more than likely in numerous ways to the point where Hagar left the ring. She left the fight. She left the ranch and she fled. And she went into the wilderness, newly pregnant. But I thank God that the angel of the Lord found her, the Bible says, and began to speak to her and encourage her. And we saw last week in Bible study that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God in the Old Testament. And so the messenger of the Lord, Jesus, appeared to Hagar in the wilderness and gave her a word and encouraged her, and she went back to live with Sarah and with Abraham as she was pregnant. And so today we find ourselves possibly 14 years after the encounter we see in chapter 16. So as we come to chapter 21, again, 14 years later, where they are coexisting in the same proximity. But oh, it's about to jump off here in a minute. But I need to let you know something that back in the day, it is highly probable that Hagar and Sarah had a decent relationship. Really? Pastor, they had a decent relationship? What makes you think that? Well, the Bible lets us know that Abraham is 10 years older than Sarah. So when Abraham got the call in chapter 12 to be the father of a great nation, he was 75 years old, which means that his wife Sarah was 65 years old. In chapter 12, where they got the call to be a great nation, that God would bless every family on the face of the earth through Abram or Abraham's family, 
In that same chapter, Abraham took his wife, his nephew, all of their possessions and went into Africa. They went down into Egypt. And while they were in Egypt, uh, Abraham lied, saying that Sarah is my sister and not my wife. You know the story. God had mercy and blessed a mess anyhow. They came up out of Egypt with many goods, with many resources, but also with more men servants and maid servants. And this is where many scholars believe Hagar came, that she came out of Egypt, out of Africa, when Abraham and Sarah left. So that's at the age of 65 for Sarah. But 10 years later, the Bible lets us know, Sarah is frustrated that she can't have a child. So she asks, really she doesn't ask, she tells her surrogate or her maidservant that she's going to be the surrogate. So that's 10 years right there. Here's my hypothesis. If you're going to ask a woman to be the surrogate mother for your child with your husband, y'all have to have a somewhat decent relationship. Even though Hagar works for Sarah, Sarah thought enough about Hagar that she said, I want to have a child through you, and here I'm going to let you marry my husband. So they must have had some kind of platonic relationship where there was mutual respect and understanding. Maybe Hagar was Sarah's number one maidservant. So I'm here to say that you just don't ask somebody to have a child that you don't like. You, you, you got to like them a little bit. And you don't ask them to be your husband's second wife if you don't care for them. I know it's twisted, but it's in the scripture because the scripture is for twisted people like you and me. And so, so, so they had to have a decent relationship for at least 10 years from the age 65 to 75 for Sarah. Now, again, we don't know the approximate age of Hagar, but I have to believe that she wasn't nearly as old as Sarah was. So we, we, we're going to knock her down a little bit in her age, but let me keep on moving before I get in trouble. And so, so, so she says, yes, we are friends. Now, Sarah died at 127 years old. So what this means is that Sarah and Hagar had approximately 52 years of conflict between themselves. Ten good years of having a decent relationship. And then 52 years of turmoil, angst, and conflict. Wow. Now, conflict in life is inevitable. But the issue is, how do we handle conflict when it comes? We're all going to have conflict because we're all broken, fallen, sinful people. But the issue is, what kind of conflict resolution skills do we have? And some of us, again, all of us, I should say, we always need to grow in how we handle conflict. And so these two had conflict. And now we're heading into a second a fight, if you will, that these two women are going to have. So what this means is, at 75, when things started going awry between Sarah and Hagar, now they're going to, she's sitting on that for about 14 years. This thing is bubbling over, and when we get into chapter 21, it's going to blow up. So begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 21. 
of the book of Genesis. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Stop and pause. He gives a general calling in chapter 12. I'm going to make the two of you into a great nation, a general calling. And when God called them to be a great nation, he knew that Sarah was barren because chapter 11 of Genesis says that she was barren. She could not have children. And so God called them to have a great nation, even though she had medical complications as far as not being able to bear children. And this goes back to what Pastor Jerry, I mean Gary said in terms of a Shermanism. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the ones he calls. Because God knew that she couldn't have children. And God was setting them up for a miracle. God was setting them up to do something supernatural so that he could get all the glory. So when we come to God with all of our inadequacies, God knows that we're inadequate. God knows we don't bring really anything to the table. The best ability is availability. Here I am, Lord, with all my flaws, my shortcomings. Lord, here I am. And he's like, yeah, I can use you when you recognize that apart from me, you can do nothing. All of the things that hinder you. Moses was a stutterer. And God says, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Uh, uh, Jeremiah was a young man. He said, God, I can't go and talk to them. I'm so young. I can't be a prophet. And God was like, don't tell me that you are young. Because when you're questioning my sovereignty, you shouldn't even be doing that because I know all things. So when I called you, I knew what I was doing when I called you. Because I'm going to get all the glory whenever something good happens in your life. So Sarah was barren, gets the general call at age 65 with her husband who's 75. And then she begins to wonder, is this thing going to happen? She, she, she hears Abraham saying that he had a conversation with God and because Abraham was like, here, Lord, take my, 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 my servant of the house, Eliezer of Damascus. And God says, no, he's going to come from your body. And so Sarah hears that he's coming from your body, but what about my body? Here, take Hagar. Maybe you can have a nation through her and I can have that child. She was leaning on her own understanding rather than waiting on God and trusting in God. She threw a monkey wrench into the plan. She went from God's perfect will into God's permissive will because she wanted to do her own thing. But God still hits bullseyes with crooked sticks. And so now we see in chapter 18, God shows up and give, gives a more specific uh, uh, calling about his will. The general calling, y'all are going to be a great nation. Sarah gets discouraged. So God shows up in chapter 18. Jesus takes physical form. And he attends uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah's compound with two angels. And he says to Abraham, while Sarah is listening outside the tent door, he says uh, about this time next year, or in other words, nine months, Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah is listening, and when the Lord says that to Abraham, she laughs within herself. You mean it to, I've been waiting all this time. And <laughs> yeah, right. And then the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And Jesus said, yes, you did. You laughed, you laughed. Nine months from now, it's going to happen. And so guess what? The Lord visited Sarah, chapter 21, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. See, some of us are waiting on the Lord to fulfill the things that he said to us through the word and in our spirit. 
but it hasn't materialized yet. I'm here to let you know that the vision awaits an appointed time, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says. Just because God said it yesterday doesn't mean it's going to happen today. Sometimes he allows us to wait. That is part of the process because he's working on us and working in us before he does what he's called us to do because we're not ready yet. And these folks had to wait 25 years for God to manifest this blessing of Isaac for them. So the only thing that's harder than waiting on God is wishing you would have waited on God. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep on waiting. As the old preacher would say, God is rarely early. He's never late, but he's always on time. You can go from waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, then he shows up and you can't keep up with the Lord because he's working, he's preparing. So don't give up. Verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God has spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. The name Isaac in the Hebrew literally means laughter. You laughed about whether or not I could do this thing? Because with God, nothing is impossible. So every time you call him to come for supper, you're going to be reminded of my faithfulness in spite of your unbelief. Come in here, laughter. Come in here, laughter. Come on, get your cream of wheat. So, so this boy's called Isaac, laughter. Keep that in your mind. We're going somewhere with that. Verse 4, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. So God gave Abraham the sign of this covenant, which was circumcision. Verse 5, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. If you want more of the background of this, read Romans chapter 4, because it talks about Abraham's body being dead and Sarah's womb being dead. But they trusted God because God said. In verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Because I know for many, 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 many years, for decades, she couldn't laugh. She mourned. She grieved. She lived under tremendous pressure. And she probably felt people were laughing at her. Because so much of your identity in that culture was in having children for women who were married. And because she couldn't do that, I'm sure she didn't have many moments in life for decades to laugh. But now she's laughing. Verse 7, she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? So God not only allowed her to have a child, but now she can nurse. And then it says, for I have borne him a son in his old age. Oh, wow, look at that. Now verse 8, here, here we go now. So the child grew and was weaned. So they give birth to Isaac, laughter, joy, and he was weaned. Weaning is different in every culture. Weaning is when a child no longer breastfeeds. And so generally, weaning happens between six months and a year. Some cultures, it goes to two years. 
I've seen some kids that should have been off the breast a long time ago. They walk up to the mother and they got a suit and tie on. You know? But anyway, but, but the weaning, you know, uh, getting this baby off the breast, which speaks of, again, a, a time and a point of growth. And so they're having a great feast for this child. They're celebrating this child is being weaned. Verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So there's a big celebration. Everyone's there. This is a miracle child. This is a miracle moment where God gets all this glory. This old 90-year-old woman has a baby and is breastfeeding and is no longer at breastfeeding, has weaned this child. Man, it's a celebration. But Sarah can't even celebrate because she's busy watching Hagar's son, Ishmael. Because Ishmael begins to scoff baby Isaac. What's that all about? This Hebrew word scoffing, some of your Bibles will say mocked. 14-year-old is mocking maybe a one-year-old baby or child. Let's go a little deeper. Scoff, mock. It comes from the same root word of Isaac's name, which is to laugh. So what Ishmael is doing is scoffing, mocking, and laughing at Isaac. Now, again, we, we, we don't know what he's laughing at him about. Maybe he's laughing about his name, that his name means laughter. Because you know how kids are. Kids will joke other kids about their names. And so, so something is going on here. But here's a question I got to ask. Beyond, why is Sarah, who should be celebrating, watching this go down? My question is, where did 14-year-old Ishmael learn how to mock and scoff this baby? Why would he mock and scoff and ridicule this baby who really is his brother, his half-brother? Because they have the same daddy. I'm here to suggest to you that Ishmael learn this behavior. He learned this bad attitude. He learned this contempt against Isaac from his mama, Hagar. Mm -hmm. I need y'all to go with me. Don't, don't tune me out now. Kids are like sponges. More is caught than taught in our home. They will do what we do, especially when what we say doesn't match what we want them to do. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. We, we hypocrites many times at home. And so we can say one thing, but then we do another. We'll tell our kids not to lie, but when certain people call on the phone, at least back in the day when you had house phones, you would say, tell them I'm not here. <laughs> now don't lie, but tell them I'm not here. You lying. So when a kid goes out and lie, they're following the example of the parents. And so therefore... This boy learns how to mock and show disdain towards this young man because he got it from being in the environment of negativity with his mama. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm here to say that Hagar was speaking negatively about Sarah and ridiculing her about being old and pregnant 
and Oatmeal, excuse me, Ishmael, picked up on it. So he started doing what he heard his mother do at home. Okay, here it is. Be careful about influencing the people you love to have a problem with people you don't like. Be careful about influencing the people you love to have a problem with people you don't like. So now they got a problem with people you don't like because you've influenced them to have the same problem and attitude. And the reason why this happens is because Ishmael is young and impressionable. He's a sponge. He's following his mother's example. So when adults have issues with people, they don't like somebody. Then the people who are close to them that they love end up not liking the same people that the adults don't like because they've been influenced by the adults because those adults are young and immature. Look, if you got a problem with somebody, you have a problem with them. But don't make me have a problem with them so that I can show that I love you and support you. That's manipulation. I got a lot of people right now who don't like me because other people don't like me. And they're close and tight. And so I've never done anything to them. Never done anything to the people that don't like me. But they, and they used to like me at one time. And now they don't like me. And now they've influenced other people to not like me. What's that all about? That's childish. If you're going to be in our clique, our group, these are the people we like. These are the people we don't like. These are the people we kick it with. These are the people we don't kick it with. And if you go over in the enemy territory, now you got a problem with me. Man, that's manipulation. And adults do it and not just teens. But since there's so much more meat on the bone, I got to keep going. Matthew 27, verse 20, talking about this spirit of influence. It says, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So all the people out there and, and Pilate is like, what do you want me to do with Christ? And the people, because they're naive, they follow the religious leaders who say, Ask for Barabbas and have Jesus crucified. So they persuaded the people. And persuasion can be something that is positive or it can be something that's negative. We can persuade people to do good things or we can persuade people to do bad things. And the Pharisees and the leaders of the day persuaded the people because they had a problem with Jesus. That they made everybody else have a problem with Jesus. But let me go on, let me go on. Because when Sarah sees this in verse 9, that, that, that older boy scoffing her baby boy, verse 34, therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. He loved Ishmael. But Sarah said, put him out. Can I ask you a question? Now, 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 the celebration, the the music, somebody stopped playing the music. They were jamming. Then Sarah said, out, every last one, get out. Music stopped. Everybody looking around. It's awkward now. And she tells Abraham, take care of this. 
put them out. Can I ask you, why was she so set off like this? Why did it come to this? Well, the fights we have with others are often indicators of the fights we have within ourselves. Uh, a, a, a small thing set her off because Sarah had a war within herself. Uh, Sarah had a bad temper. Sarah afflicted this woman in chapter 16, which possibly means she put her hands on this woman. Uh, she erupts. And, and, and so now in this chapter, during the celebration, she says, get them out of here. So she's got some kind of bad explosive temper because the stuff we stuff is the stuff that erupts. She stuffed it. She stuffed it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We got to live in proximity right now because mm, you came back. Abraham got his son, Ishmael. Okay, I really don't want nothing to do with you. And stuffing, stuffing, and then something set that nerve off. And then boom, an eruption. James chapter 4, verse 1 in the NIV says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So the fights and the quarrels are internal first. You're not at peace with yourself, which means you're at war with other people. But let's go a little further in James. James goes on to say in the next verse, you want stuff. You covet things that other people have. You want, and you don't ask the Lord, but, but you want things. Can I say to you that Sarah coveted what Hagar had? What is that? the ability to have children while young. She couldn't do that. And so rather than celebrating this idea because all the cultures did the surrogate thing, she got jealous. And not only that, she said to Abraham, I gave this woman to your embrace. So, so now she's jealous that, because it ain't right for one man with two women, we talked about that last week, there's a lot of jealousy in Sarah. A lot of envy and stuff. Why? Because Hagar can do what she can't do. And she had to deal with that for 14 years, watching her raise Ishmael. So then when her son comes, she's had all that stuff built up in her where she can't stand this woman. The book of Proverbs says, who can stand before jealousy? And a lot of people have a problem with you because they're jealous of you and what you have, and who you know. Sarah uses her power in a wrong way again, says this bond woman, says it twice, get rid of this bond woman. Wait a minute now, that's your husband's second wife, but you're calling her bond woman or slave because she's trying to one-up her again to remind Hagar, you don't have the power around here, I do. This bond woman, get her out of here. Now watch this now. She brings up the inheritance. Because this boy ain't sharing the inheritance with my boy. Sarah brought up the money. A lot of the fights we have with people, you can trace it back somewhere to some money. Some of y'all upset right now because somebody still owe you $5 that they ain't paid you <laughs> since 2002. Money. Money. 
So Sarah, Sarah is struggling here. And if you notice again, we do not hear the voice of Hagar in this back and forth because she represents the powerless. But let's go a little deeper. This is going to set the tone for next week now. Sarah, through this explosion that she didn't think about again, it hurt Abraham. She made a withdrawal from Abraham's heart without putting any deposits in. Pastor, what you talking about? Because the Bible says that this, in verse 11, was very displeasing to Abraham. You want me to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael, but that's my son. So he has to get rid. He has to do what she's saying right now because she is hot. But this is going to be another withdrawal that's going to lead to their separation. Oh, you got to come back next week. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed will be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So God's saying, go ahead and listen to her. Because in order for these two boys to be great, they've got to separate. They've got to go their way. So, so, so again, God is working his perfect will in the midst of a permissive will situation. Go ahead and listen to her. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. The Bible says in the New Testament that all this stuff was written for our example. Okay, so we learn from this stuff. My question again is, why did Abraham, who was so wealthy, so rich, only give his baby mama and boy some water in a skin? Couldn't he have given them more than that? I mean, that, that, that's some horrible child support, isn't it? Take this water, baby. Bye. What? Abraham may have done that because he knows they're in God's hand. God told me he's going to make them great. So, so I'm going to trust God to take care of them. Here's that water. Still don't really jive with me. The reason why he couldn't give more than that was because Sarah wouldn't let him give more than that. Y'all ain't, ain't trying to hear me today. That's some real stuff. She like put him out. He ain't sharing the inheritance. So that's why he couldn't give them more. So again, Sarah is an angry and possibly bitter woman, even in the midst of her blessing. Some of us will get blessed and God will come through, but there's still a root, Hebrews talks about, of bitterness inside of us. Where we're called to love our neighbor and to love our enemies and pray for them. But some of them, oh no, I'm not praying for them. Holy Spirit, he, he just can't work through you because you're angry and you're bitter. 
Oh, my. So Abraham's hands were tied. My God. I know there's some men who understand what I'm saying today, especially if you have a blended family and you got baby mama drama and issues. What, what, what she want now? You already paid that. No. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Abraham rose. We read that. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar. Who's the angel of God? This is Jesus. He calls to Hagar out of heaven. I'm sure she recognizes his voice from chapter 16. He says to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Oh my. When we see how one man, Abraham, fails miserably. Two women fail miserably. When they fall down in this, they could have handled this a whole lot better, but they blew it. They messed up. Guess who showed up and decided to fix this whole thing up? God did. God was faithful. And in all of our mess, he's faithful even when we are not faithful to him. He's good to us even when we are not good to him or to other people. And it ought to be that mercy that leads us to a lifestyle of repentance. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar did not act properly, but these verses tell us how God acted. God acted by hearing this child. God called from heaven. God said, fear not. God instructed Hagar and said, arise, lift up this lad. God opened her eyes and she saw, well, God provided water. God saved their lives. God said, I will be with the lad. God promised I will make him into a great nation. God covered the lad when he said, I will be with him. And God blessed the child because the child grew. And the child ended up getting a wife of his own. So who's the star of this story? It's God. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, they're a mess just like us. So who's the star of your story and mine? God. Where sin abounds, grace super abounds. That's God saying, I'm still going to make something beautiful. Even though you guys have handed me a bunch of brokenness, watch me bless it anyhow. Well, the fights we have with others are often indicators of the fights we have within ourselves. Sarah had so many internal wars going on. It's real. We, we, we understand it. But just because it's real, that doesn't make it right. It's understandable but not justifiable for her to treat this woman and this child like that. Yes, Sarah was at fault. 
But so was Hagar, and so was Abraham. But what would have happened if they had forgiven each other in all that confusion? Pastor Chris, Moses is going to come along later, and he's going to talk about the commandments of God and how we're to love our neighbor. So, so they didn't know what to do. Yes, they did. They may not have had the tablets written on stone of God's commands, but God had written his commands inside of their heart about loving him and loving your neighbor. What does love look like when you're in conflict with someone that you're living with, you're in proximity with? You have conflict resolution skills, which means you confess and you forgive. But nowhere in that with the patriarchs, the first holy family, there's no confession and there's no forgiveness. What if they would have sat down and spoken like adults and stopped pointing fingers and started pointing thumbs and taking responsibility? Okay, let's not talk about them. Let's talk about your house and mine. That cousin you still don't talk to. That person in your family. How about we sit down? I know, Pastor. Look, look, it's hard. I know, I know. But we're praying for revival, right? Asbury got revival. That, that, that school in Texas, revival. But revival doesn't come without humility and honesty and more humility. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he knows the proud from afar off. You can't humble yourself, but your Savior made himself of no reputation. Help it make sense to me. We've gotten so used to being at odds and in broken relationships that the abnormal has now become normal. Pastor, you just don't know. Every time we start talking, there's an argument. Well, one of y'all need to change dance steps. Because y'all keep doing this dance of death. I'm going to say this, she's going to say that. I'm going to say that, he's going to say that. How about you stop saying what you normally say and change the dance steps? Here are three points of application. Be careful. Stop influencing people you love to have a problem with people you don't like or people you are jealous of. Let's stop doing that. Secondly, always remember when adults are at odds with each other, the people who suffer the most are the children. Just let that sit for a sec. Ishmael and Isaac would not have a relationship because the parents didn't want to have a relationship. And so as a result, these brothers did not spend time together growing up. The next time you're going to see them together, is 75 years later when Abraham dies and they're burying him and his two sons show up for the funeral. Ishmael and Isaac are at the funeral of their father. Don't you hate it that the only time you see some family members that you're estranged from is at a funeral? but it's the kids that get hurt the most. I know that your ex treated you horribly, and I know you were innocent just like Jesus. <laughs> you knew no sin, right? Mm-hmm. But that's still your child's mother 
or father. Don't keep your kids from their mother or their father because that might be a seed that will lead to them hating you one day. Why'd you keep my dad, my mom from me? When adults do that mess, kids get hurt the most. Finally, have hope today. Yeah, my stuff is messed up. Lord, I'm a mess, but I'm going to spend less time looking at me and more time looking at you. That's why worship is so important because we've been out in the world all week dealing with stuff, being self-centered, navel-gazing, but when we come into the house of the Lord, all eyes should be on Jesus. Should be that way anyway, but God knows. So we need corporate worship and song leaders to, to get us to concentrate on him and forget about ourselves. So when we look at him, we realize that Jesus is still the star of the story. He is also the redeemer, the repairer, the restorer, and the rescuer of my life. Because with the living, there is hope that he can turn it around. But first, he wants to turn me around. Who have you been fighting with? Remember, we're not wrestling against people. We should be dealing with these spirits that want to divide people. It's time for us to grow up. And with that, let us stand up. Pastor, where did this series come from? You really want to know? When I get the prayer requests that come in, and when I know about stuff that's going on, just, just a little bit of stuff that's going on in some families, it breaks our heart as staff and leaders and elders. And we pray and I'm like, Lord, I got to let them know that the trouble they're having. They could be married for a year. They could be single or they could be married for 30, 40 years. It's all common to man, but God is faithful. If I can just encourage the people to look more at you and less at themselves and at each other and what the other's doing wrong and maybe. But a lot of times, though, the, the, the people that really need this stuff don't come to church. I hope they're at least watching online because when you start separating from people, I don't know how you can be in really close proximity and relationship and intimacy with God. There are times my, the Lord will tell me when Doreen and I are having some intense fellowship and I come in the room and I try to have some prayer and, and he's like, got his arms crossed, if you will. What are you talking to me about? Go back in there and humble yourself and apologize to your wife. My prayers are hindered until I do that. I told y'all before, normally when my wife and I have an argument, she comes back to me on her hands and knees. And she says, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. But we have, again, it's conflict resolution skills. I know her tendency, she knows mine. The Lord is the most important person in our lives and in our relationship. 
So we both repent and we both draw close to Jesus, which allows us to draw close to each other. When I'm off with my kids, it's the same way. We got to get in God's presence together. If a little bit of this hit home, can, can, can you just raise your hand? Just a little bit hit home. Amen. Well, Father God, we raise our hands to you saying, Lord, here we are. You know everything about us, and yet you still love us. You will never change how you feel about us. It's your love that casts out fear. But so often we're trying to cast out people. Teach us the gospel. That Jesus is enough. That Jesus did enough. And that ought to free us up. And we can be honest in our brokenness. Honest in our sinfulness. Honest in our hope. Thank you, God. Lord, I sense that you're growing our church. But we know that growth is not about numbers in and of themselves. It's not about more people. It's not about breadth. Growth is really about depth more than breadth. Help us to grow deeper with you and our love relationship, oh God. Teach us who you are. Teach us about your grace and mercy. Show us how to relate to folks. Show us how to break generational curses and generational behavior and the way my mother did it and my daddy did it. My daddy wasn't there. And this is the way I talk to people. Lord, God, we're new creations in Jesus. The old is past. The new has come. We're alive today. There is hope in Jesus. And we don't want to live life miserable, just enduring. No, God, we want to live life enjoying what you have for us. So help us to forgive. Help us to release, folks. Help us to forgive ourselves again. Thank you that the blood never loses its power. And there's no broken home that you can't heal. Help us, God. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and even pick us up when we do to the only wise God, our Savior, be all of the glory, all of the dominion, all of the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. I dare you to give God a hand praise. Come on, thank him for another day, another opportunity. Oh my, oh my. Amen. Well, before you leave, you got to greet somebody. You got to hug somebody. You got to say hey to somebody. And Lord willing, we'll see you here Wednesday night for Bible study and the meal. Okay? All right. <laughs>